Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Curtain Call Podcast, a production of the Yes Network. He's John J. Filippelli, joined by myself, Justin Shackle, our terrific producer, Dan Bassone, with us as well. Uh, John, we're about two weeks away from Yankees pitchers and catchers, and for whatever reason, to me, it feels like this offseason work for the Yankees is not yet complete, and we're going to spend a little time on the Yankees, but I think the bulk of our focus for this episode could be on what we saw last week and what we continue to see in the processes of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Process, process processes, processes. Do you know what it is? Process. Process. <laughs> no, I don't know what it is. The no plurality of process. <laughs> singular, let's see. Process, the form of processes, processes, processes. Processes or processes? Processes was a Roman emperor, right? Roman Emperor processes, you'd say, I have no idea. I am sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm very All right. Well, we're going to get into a, a, a lengthy discussion about the Baseball Hall of Fame and, and its current status within baseball universe. But first, uh, I need to get your expert opinion on something, John. And you have no idea what I'm about to ask you. So this is fun for me. All right. The Super Bowl is set. Chiefs 49ers. A couple of weeks now uh, from Las Vegas. The big game, uh, February 10th, 11th, 11th, 11th. 11th. You're, are you going? I know that's a yes. weekly. Yes, I go or weekly. Every year an annual tradition son, with your sons. My two sons, Pierce and John, we've gone every year for about the last 15 years. And uh, we will continue that tradition. Okay. So you're a seasoned and accomplished veteran of live television production. So are we as a viewing audience, John, seeing too much Taylor Swift, <laughs> not enough Taylor Swift or just the right amount of Taylor Swift during these games. I'm so tired of seeing Taylor Swift personally. Um, yeah, to me, look, I'm an older, you know, I, I, I'm not a Swifty. I mean, I, I realize she's a great talent. She's a great talent. She really is, and I, I have great respect for her artistry. And she's the right to take who she wants, obviously. And, and uh, God bless them. Good luck. But, but the, the fixation and. and well, because Sailor Swift has bring, brings with her millions of fans, and the, the television ratings have gone up. You know, the NFL ratings without Taylor Swift are, are are tremendous, which with Taylor Swift they're tremendous plus. I mean, they go to another level, a different. They absolutely go to a different level with her, uh, and it's been the, the numbers are there. They've done. I guess they do their studies, and and, uh, and a lot of young young women who don't necessarily follow football have now been brought into football because they watch the games because they want to see Taylor Swift. So there's no question that it helps. The, it helps the ratings of the show. No, I don't think you know it's. Uh, I mean, it's, it may be incrementally help it, but it does help it for, on some level and some measure for sure. And that's why I, I think that, uh, you know, if you're uh, CBS and you have a Super Bowl, you, the Super Bowl's going to do great business, no matter Taylor Swift or Taylor Swift. But the fact she's there, does it bring a few more? Sure, absolutely brings a few more fans. Fans that have been developed in the course of the year, mostly young, young women, I would think. But it's a good demographic for the NFL to raise that. They're working on that and means more whatever. It's, it doesn't hurt them to have her you know, going out with, with Kelsey and for them to people being fixated on that relationship does not hurt the television at all. Does not hurt the, the chiefs in any way. Certainly brings the, I mean, how much money do you think Kelsey's making in all these commercials? You think he's making them? I mean, there was no Taylor Swift relationship. Come on. I mean, were you born yesterday, the day before yesterday, come on, but, but, but you know what, but good for him and good for her. Yeah. You know, they're happy. That's that's a nice thing. I'm happy for them. But at the end of the day, am I a little sick of seeing this every two, 10, 20 seconds? Yes, I am. But but I get it. I, I get why they do it. All right. So from an objective point of view, if you have 
the job of directing or producing the big game in a couple of weeks, and you know all of this, what she said, what's your rule, your general rule of thumb on how you would approach the element of Taylor Swift within the Super Bowl? Well, she's, I mean, if you're going to approach it, then you're going to handle it and you're going to do it because it's been done. It, people are expecting it to be done. There were, there were young women, or, or not necessarily young women, they could be beyond that demographic, who are tuning in because they want to see Taylor Swift or the casual football fans. And, you know, and, and, and the Super Bowl's okay, but oh, now they're going to stay and they're going to pay more attention because they want to see Taylor Swift. There's, so I, you have to be cognizant of the Taylor Swift factor. <laughs> but I would do a whole show around Taylor Swift. I mean, I'm like, every time. Kelsey catches a ball. I'm not going to take a shot at, of Taylor Swift. You're not. Okay. No, I'm not. You know, it's like <laughs> the producers. No, I'm sorry, I'm not. Because they're, they're like it's the Super Bowl, okay? And it's a it's a huge game. And all these playoff games. I mean, I would limit it to you know whatever. I mean, if it's part of a sequence, if I something happened, I've got it, and she's she's cheering or whatever, and I've got a great thing, I'll take it. But you know what? But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it at the expense of other more meaningful shots and replays. But I am cognizant that people are tuning in to see it. Some people, you have to satisfy them at some level, and you do have to take a few shots for, for that curiosity, for no other reason than to satisfy it. But but I wouldn't go overboard with it. I mean, I won't, I'm just not, I just wouldn't. And I think that some telecasts have been a little more measured than others. Some have been a little less, like, been swiftly out of control. Some of them, okay, and others not so much. But but uh, it, it's hard to find that even balance when it comes to Taylor Swift. Is uh, because some people might say three shots is too many, four shots is too many, five shots is too many. I've seen I've seen these some of these things where every other shot has been Taylor Swift. I mean that's a little that's a little too much for me. I want to see the game. I'm not really fixated on Taylor Swift, but that's just me. I I'll say this. I think if we see one lower third, and for those not familiar with low it's it's basically the graphic that you would see on the bottom of your screen if we see one which is a parody on any taylor swift song title i think that's one too many so <laughs> we'll start there okay. and we'll uh well yeah we'll we'll see how uh what's the over under uh, i'll tell you here's a great one well, at the vegas odds because they have they have proposition bets they have all these yeah. things what's the over under on shots of taylor swift I'd say somewhere between 13 and 15. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 15. In the course of the game. Yep. Fifth, so that's like, there's four quarters in a game. Let's let's make it 16. So I think there'll be four shots of her per quarter. I could see that. I could. Wow. That's a lot, though. Think about I know. This. Think about that, the premise. That's a lot of shots. It's a lot of shots. It's also the Super Bowl. And like you said, there's going to be a, a whole another extension of eyeballs on this game just because of Taylor Swift. So yes. for the crowd that, you know, always says, oh, go sports from here for sports, where they're kind of just joking that they have no idea what's going on and they're, they're there to support a friend or a significant other. That's like the faction that's going to be glued in on the TV screen that normally wouldn't be there because of Taylor Swift. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say an average of four per quarter. I think that's a, a healthy amount probably in the eyes of a uh, of an individual with the task of putting the Super Bowl uh, out there to the TV. Do you know what my favorite, one of my favorite things in the Super Bowl is? It, and every network does it. It's been done every year. And it's, it's a part of the – it's a staple of coverage somewhere. 
there'll be a package that the, the tape area of the of the production truck, the television truck, mm-hmm. the videotape area will put a package together. And it'll be, you know, the seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve different faces of famous people who are at the Super Bowl. There's so and so, there's so and so, so and so, there's so and so, there's so and so, and it's, they'll tape it because they'll, they'll put it together in a little package, and they'll run it between, you know, uh, you know, coming out of a commercial for, you know, ten seconds or fifteen seconds or something like that. It's a small little quick package, right? But you know, it's one of my favorite packages because oh, oh, I know so and so, oh, I know that one's oh, well, they wear it. What is this one doing? It's like so there'll be there's always a, that, and there is I'm not alone in that. A lot of people like like that package, want to see it. This is an extension of it. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm very mul- on a lot of multiples, okay, of that package. This is yeah. Taylor Swift, and it's she's a singular phenomenon, and she's covered like a singular phenomenon, and she's treated as a singular phenomenon, and you know, and and this country cannot get enough of Taylor Swift. So yeah. that's that's the world in which we're in right now. I would venture to guess that that package is going to appear earlier than it usually does for Super Bowls, and that they will have Taylor Swift as the last individual on said package that'll be her first appearance and then it'll just continue to increase as we go by through, you know what i would do you know what i would do? i'd run the package and then then i whenever i could get to it a little later on i take a shot of tell us something go oh i didn't think she'd be here oh, what a surprise what a, i'm surprised oh yeah. what a surprise as ralph Crampton used to say in the honeymoon <laughs> oh what a surprise uh sure okay yeah all right that's a that's as much about taylor swift as i want to spend on any uh given platform exhausted uh, yeah taylor swift exhausted me already oversaturated nothing against her she didn't ask for it no but... nothing it's had nothing to do with her actually no they're doing it's it's, yeah. it's the fascination we have with celebrities mm-hmm. in this country all right john pitchers catchers for the yankees they report yeah. february 14th i'm beginning to wonder whether or not this team has another big move in them because uh, they did not bring in a big name free agent reliever. That's what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. We kind of both agreed that Josh Hader would be a perfect fit for this bullpen. Yankees only notable free agent signing has been Marcus Stroman's two-year deal. They also signed Luke Weaver to a, a major league free agent contract, but there are top tier free agents still out there. And I'm curious about two things. You think the prices on the Snells, the Montgomerys, the Bellingers, have they dropped? And would the Yankees make a move if they have? That's a tough question. Um, I think if the Yankees had wanted, the, and I think they have valid reasons for Jordan Mon- not, not going back to Jordan Montgomery, or they have valid reasons for not signing Snell, I think that they do. Um and that's the reason I don't think they've gone there. Is the price dropping? Um, I think it is dropping because uh, a pitcher and Snell has a lot of talent. I mean, you just want two saying awards. I mean, you know, with two saying awards to say you don't have any talent. I mean, but he obviously has a strong pitching talent, and obviously there's a, the market is for pitching, and there's very little of it. And there's very few quality arms available that you don't have to trade your whole farm system for, and so he's sitting there, and it just costs some money, and. The price, I don't know what the price will wind up being, 
But whatever it is, the price is going to, it's probably going to drop. I think it has to drop. Look at Bellinger, too. Forget about the pitching, just throw Bellinger in it. I mean, everybody was saying how many years it would take to sign him. And next to Soto, that was not, not a free agent. He's something we'd have to trade for. But Soto is a free agent. Just pay some money, and there you go. Now, how much money that would be would have to be determined, right? But whatever it was, I can't conceive of it. That market, that price that was set, that looked like it would be a certain number of dollars. Once these free agent season began, signing began, the season began to sign them, I think whatever that number is has gone down. Because if not, it would have happened by now. So I think people are just sitting there and either they're either the prices that they perceive him it's going to cost them all the conversations they've had are too high and they oh, everybody's passed, which is very quite possible. Now he's not going to be without a job. I mean, let's face it, he's going to be he's going to get a job and it'll get a very significant one. All these guys will. But you know what? It'll be what price at what price? And I think I think that you know I think some of these numbers that got thrown around for the for the you know for the talent, uh, uh, Yamamoto got a significant amount of money for someone who never played in the big leagues, and obviously, uh, and I'm so Tani got paid <laughs> a lot of money. Although you could you could you could you know debate the arithmetic the the arithmetic of the economics, you know how many years and how it's spread out, how much is going to get paid, how much is deferred, but but whatever, it's still it's a significant amount of money. And those were the places that I think you had to go to spend money. After that, I think the market is going to be what the market is. And I, I, I just, I'm not, I don't love a, most of the free agents who are out there on the market. I just don't love them. I think that there's holes in all, a lot of these games. And the numbers that, that agents are asking for, I don't think equates to the, this true talent of what's sitting out there. I just don't. I'm not saying Snow isn't talented. I'm not saying Bellinger isn't talented. I'm not saying any of that. They are talented, but at what number are they talented? And if you're the Yankees, you go. Do you do you really need Snell? We know they need starting pitching. We know that, okay. And if Matt, if Matt, Matt Snell, I'll be right. I'm not dating myself too badly. Matt Snell, the old Jet running back, right? And if, if Blake Snell is there, and the number is reasonable, would they go after him? I don't know that they would, because you know there's a lot of holes in that game. He's won two Cy Young awards, but the years that he hasn't won Cy Young, they've been okay years, but they haven't been outrageous years. Right, he throws a lot of pitches. He walks a lot of people. He gets out of trouble for sure. He does, but he but he puts himself in a lot of trouble. And come five innings, he's done. Five, he's done. That means you got to cover four half the game as they get covered by what? By your bullpen, which doesn't need to be stretched. It's already got some. I think has depth issues. They don't need to stretch it further. So those are things that they have to look at. And, and Scott Boris is not going to let him go cheaply. He's going to try to get every dollar he can. That's his job to do that. And he's got a stable of clients that command money, so I don't know that I don't know that he's going to let them go. He may have to sit them out for a long time until somebody says, "I will pay you this or I will pay you that." And at a certain point, that price, if if if, it, if if it's not being met, the price has to come down because these guys have to go to work. He's not going to sit. He's not going to sit them here and say, "Sit out the whole year. We'll bring you back next year." That's way too much money to leave on the table, even if it's the money is less than they thought the market value was going to be. It's still a lot of money. I also do think that sitting out for a portion of spring training, kind of holding out, if you will, I think that could only be detrimental to the seasons that some of these players are about to embark on. So I, I'm not a fan of that at all. Uh, I, I will say this. I don't think the Yankees have had their last conversation about the Snells and the Bellingers and the Montgomerys, but I think there's a lot of uh, there's a big gap in between conversations and actually signing these players if the price comes down to uh, to their liking here. But what about the bullpen? You know, we, we've talked about this Yankee pen a lot this offseason. And if I'm a fan 
I would say at the moment, I'd have to be content about what the starting rotation could potentially present. Now, I want to say this. The Yankees do as good of a job of squeezing every ounce of ability out of the relievers year in and year out. I mean, this has been the case for the better part of a decade now. Last year, had a 3-3-4 bullpen ERA. It was the best in the majors. But when you talk about making improvements and bridging the gap to a Clay Holmes, and some people like to debate whether or not the end of that bridge should even be Clay Holmes, uh, I think there are some question marks with this bullpen. And even if I was a fan... You know, you want to give them the benefit of the doubt here, but I think this could be the year where you might be the least comfortable with the Yankee bullpen heading into pitchers and catchers. What do you think? I agree. I, I think, uh, I, I think you know, Clay Holmes was a revelation when they got him. I, I mean, the Yankees obviously did their due diligence and saw things that some other teams didn't see, and and it paid off for them in the beginning, and. But then it didn't, because then he struggled mightily. Then he righted the ship. Then he struggled again. Then he righted the ship. And what you're seeing now, what I've seen in the last two years, whatever, has been some radical inconsistency. Now, does that mean he doesn't have talent? Of course not. He has, he has a lot of talent. He's got some great. When, it, when he's throwing that sinker, that thing is on. It's 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 a it's a great pitch. But if you're a disciplined hitter, you can lay off it. It's a ball. And that's what they kind of figured out, I think. And sometimes the sinker didn't have the same bite. And we could we could argue we could throw down the mechanics of this all day. The end result is this: he's inconsistent. You don't want a closer who's inconsistent. You just can't have it. And when you do have a closer who's inconsistent, it doesn't speak well even to probably the rest of your bullpen. So, do I think that there's talent in that bullpen? I do. I think the Yankees have some talent in there. I mean, always to me, the wild card is Lewisica, but he's always hurt now. Now and, and that's that's significant. If he could stay healthy, then Loisica maybe is the closer and Holmes is your setup guy. And all of a sudden, that's not so bad. That's actually pretty good. If you want consistency, right? That's not a bad thing. But who knows? I mean, who knows who's going to be healthy? Who is? It's always about health. But there's just too many question marks about Loisica right now. Until he shows you he can do it, he can't do it. So you can't really rely on him right now. And Holmes. He can't really rely on him either. I mean, he has his good days and his bad days. He can't be inconsistent in the closing aspects of a game. He can't be. You need a closer. And the other parts of the Yankee bullpen, there's some strength in there. Some guys who can get some guys out for sure. But at the end of the day, it, I still think they need an arm or two in the bullpen and they need an arm or two in the starting rotation. You know, I could say, well, we're going to get two pitchers from. I don't know. But you might need them. As, as Buck Showalter used to say to me, you need eight going to spring training, you need eight or nine starting pitches because you're going to run through them. It's just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's wrong. I think you hit the nail on the head with Jonathan Loisica. Outside of Carlos Rodon, Loisica is probably the biggest X factor for this entire pitching staff. Uh, as it stands right now, the way it's currently constructed, the the Yankees are hedging their bet on the health of, of Jonathan Loisica. And it just simply hasn't been there to the point where Aaron Boone fully admitted that near the end of last season. So you have Clay Holmes in the closer spot. You're counting on a Jonathan Lewisica whose health is a question mark. Tommy Canely at times last year, his changeup was inconsistent. You have 
yourselves banking on a repeat performance from a guy like Ian Hamilton, who had a couple of IL stints as well. You have Scott Efros coming back from Tommy John surgery. You don't exactly know what he could give you. That's uh, a gamble you're taking as well. You lost Michael King. Wandy Peralta is still a free agent. There is talks about retaining him, but if you don't and he goes elsewhere, is Victor Gonzalez going to offset the loss of Wandy Peralta as a late-inning lefty option? So these are a lot of question marks that kind of hover over the Yankees in regards to their bullpen, and it's a matter of whether they trust themselves to say, hey, we've developed bullpen arms from basically out of nowhere before. We can do it again. We have the confidence in these guys, or do they really have to go out and make a move and i think there's still time there's still time before pitchers and catchers again two plus weeks where i don't know if the bullpen picture is fully complete going into uh into 2024 so wait and see there but i i, I would have to definitely feel for a, a fan here if they were a little bit squirmish about the state of the yankees bullpen at this point in time uh, let's get to the to the hall of fame here john because Last week, Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, Todd Helton, they were elected into the Hall of Fame. And Taylor Swift. And Taylor Swift, Swift, yes. You know something? I was actually, at the time the Hall of Fame announcement was going on, I was in the Denver airport. Yes. And I actually actually sensed like a collective cheer from people. (laughs) I was was eating at Elway's. There's like a... A yeah, restaurant yeah. in the Denver sure. airport, Elway's, and there was a nice little buzz when Todd Helton, it was announced that he gained election to the Hall of Fame. It was kind of cool. Um, anyway, there, there's always a lot of debate on how the writers vote for these players and whether or not it's evolving or not. That's a big topic of debate. I think this is a two-pronged discussion with the Hall of Fame, John. The first is that I think you and I are kind of on the same page when I say that the voting process is in need of an overhaul. It's about time that someone in baseball, whether it's the league or the Hall of Fame itself, acknowledges the fact that it's okay to admit that an antiquated voting system could use a facelift. Do you agree? Yes. <laughs> Was that, did you ask me a question? Do you want me to elaborate? Or <laughs> usually, when you when you take an you know, I understand that's a yes or no question, but even these types of discussions, you can interpret it as open ended. Uh, do I think the voting the voting process needs to be revamped? Well, let me ask you this then: What's yes, wrong with the voting process in your eyes? Everything. It's See? it's it's. So you fully agree. You don't just agree. No, I fully agree. I mean, I'm sorry I gave you a yes or no answer, <laughs> but the reality is: is it antiquated? It absolutely is antiquated. Uh, I mean, I think this. I mean, look at the look at what the, look at the deadlines. The deadline is six o'clock at night. That was that they set that deadline a million years ago, so the writers could make the paper. Because that was the deadline for the writers to sort of you, you never know they gave them enough time to write a quick story and get it out in the papers, the early edition of the papers when newspapers. That's why they put in six o'clock a zillion years ago. That thing has never changed. So that first would start, I mean, as silly as that sounds, and I'm sure a lot of people didn't know that, but that's the reality of that. Why it's six o'clock. But that's so that's one thing. That's one part of it. Um, but the the more the more I think the more germane part of it, the germane parts of it would be um that I think every voter, everybody who has a vote, number one, should be qualified to have that vote, not because they're a sports writer. Okay. A lot of sports writers don't a lot of have votes and they don't really specialize in baseball. There are some that have votes that are, not everybody's Dan Shaughnessy, not everybody's Peter Gammons, not everybody is, you know, is Ro- Ken Rosenthal, not everybody's Jack Curry. They're not. 
And, and not all sports writers are created equally. And not all baseball people cover baseball are created equally. And I think we're at a point in time where you could, I mean, the people, some of the people do talk shows. And my, uh, I'll give you guys to Michael Kay, be one of them. And Michael mm -hmm. Kay works for us at Yes, right? Does obviously does the, the Yankee games, does the Yes games. And he also has a talk show for a couple hours a day, every day. It watches more baseball, I would dare say, maybe anybody in the city. I don't know who watches more than Michael, right? You don't think Michael? Michael's qualified to have a vote, more so than the, the whoever it is that snubbed Derek Jeter, you know, two years, two, three years ago. And, you know, he fell one vote short of, of unanimous, but he should have been unanimous. And that, what was the excuse? There was no excuse. And, and probably if you, if you were to figure out who that writer was, it probably put him against the wall. What that writer would say was, oh, well, I don't think anybody should be unanimous. Oh, you don't? You don't think Derek Jeter should have gotten in on the first ballot? You, you don't think Derek Jeter's a Hall of Famer? You're the only one in the whole process that didn't think so? Guess what? You should lose your vote. I'm sorry. This is this is not a democracy. This is what it is. We're taking your vote away. You shouldn't have it. Because if you if you couldn't vote for Derek Jeter, this is not about a bias of any sorts. There's no bias here. This is that's that's totally being subjective and objective. Okay? Totally being that. There's no way you wouldn't vote for Derek Jeter. No way. Or Mary Mary Vanna was the only one who got in unanimously. Tom Seaver, one of the greatest right-handed pitchers of all time. Some might say Roger Clemens, but because of the sort of the, the, the issue of performance enhancing drugs hanging sort of over their heads. It's, so you should go with Tom Seaver, right? Tom with three votes for short of unanimous. Who are those three votes? I'd love to know those three. Ken Griffey, who are those three votes? I'd like to know who those three votes were, two votes, whatever it was. I mean, so anybody that's involved for these people that are so clearly cut first ballot Hall of Famers and they don't do it, there's got to be a ridiculous reason why, and I really want to know what it is. Because if you can somehow convince me that those votes should not go to those players, I, I, I'm going to sell you a bridge in Brooklyn, okay? Because I can't easily. No, you can't do that. And that's a privilege to have those votes. And if you don't have, are not educated enough to understand how great those players were, are, and make the proper choices, or you 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 just don't know the game well enough or care enough about your ballot, or do things like I didn't vote for you in the first eight years, but I'm going to vote for you because you only have two years of eligibility left. I've heard a little of that lately, right? Right. I mean, like I don't I mean, want to be the one that's looked at as the reason why you fell short. Yeah. I mean, what exactly. does that even mean? What, what does that mean? I don't know what yeah. it means. Is it a, is it a religious experience? Tell, tell me, tell me, it's about not that? about you, while not telling me it's not about you. <laughs> exactly, it's, that's exactly right. And if you really feel it's about you, well, that's fine. Then go go find another profession where don't yeah. have a hall of fame vote because you shouldn't have it. I, I would just really love to know why is it not up for discussion, right? Like why are why is the hall of fame? Why if is you're going to tell me if you're going to tell me. That I'm not saying I'm, I'm more qualified to vote than, than a lot of the sports writers are. Yeah. I'm not saying that at all. But I am more qualified to vote than some of the sports writers are, for sure. There is no two ways about it. Just look at some of the votes in the last few years. And you have, so whoever voted, I mean, you're kidding me or what? And the players that got omitted that should have been in, are you kidding me or what? And and you want you want to go down the 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 the, the specter of of uh, you know it's performance enhancing drugs. You're not going to tell me there's not five or six or seven players in the Hall of Fame who've done performance enhancing drugs. I'm going exactly. to tell you, oh, contraire. Oh, contraire, pal. Oh, contraire. Mm -hmm. So come on. What are we doing here? Yeah, it's uh, it's topic after topic like this that's kind of reared its ugly head over the last decade plus, whether it be the steroid era, suspicion, uh, persecution, whether or not a, a writer just flat out doesn't like a particular candidate. I, I'm curious, though, when we are going to hear from the Hall of Fame. And I love going to the Hall of Fame. I love Cooperstown. I love everything about it. And I want to see it 
prosper for eternity. But why is this not even up for discussion, right? Like, why are why are you still content with this process when so many are pointing out the inefficiencies? Something needs to change within there. And I hope we're a short time away from that coming to light and actually hearing from the Hall of Fame and the league about this. Um, the second argument, John... But you, know, you know what I complained about? I've complained about this publicly on, on newspapers on talk shows that I've been on. I've complained about this as, as I'd say there was, there are two directors that I've worked with in my career. They are legendary directors. One was the great Harry Coyle, who was the first directed the, 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 the original coverage that's still being used in some, in most quarters today to cover a baseball game, the original camera placements, they were put in by Harry Coyle. So many of the games, things that you see on television, you have no idea where they came from. They came from Harry Coyle. Number one, number two, the great Billy Webb, who I was fortunate to work with him for a number of years when I was at Fox. We did a number of World Series together and things. Greatest director, he and Harry are the two greatest directors who ever sat in a chair and did a baseball game. There are other great ones, but no one measures up to those two. Why are they not in the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame? The the uh, the, the Ford Frick, the, the Ford, it's called the Ford Frick Award. At the, the, so the, the, the Hall of Fame has a, a, a broadcasting award, and it's called the Ford Frick, Ford Frick Award. Sorry. And why did, why are they not recipients of the Ford Frick Award? They say, well, it's it's about sports writers, and it's about uh, uh, announcers who cover you know the baseball. That's that's what they've got that down. So it's about the spoken word, which it shouldn't be about. It's about the written word, which it should be about. So what about the televised word? What about what about Carlton Fisk signaling, get over, get over, get over? What about that shot? What about, uh, which was Harry Coyle, by the way. What about Kirk Gibson going around the bases, pumping his fists? I know I was sitting right next to Harry Coyle when he did it. Okay? Why is that not there? Why isn't the, you know, the ball goes under Buckner's legs and, and, and all those iconic shots that came out? Why is all that? You mean tell me that that hasn't been a memory for people around the world, uh, around generations? Uh, that, that They remember the game the way Harry Coyle shot it or the way Billy Webb shot it? Why are they not? In this, why are they not in the Hall of Fame? Tell you me. want to know why? I can tell you why. Because the Baseball Hall of Fame was founded in 1936, and they're still operating as if it was 1936. That's exactly right. Yeah, they, they need to update. They need to modernize the, the, the voting process and really think about how, who votes, who votes, number one, and what they vote on, and who's eligible, who isn't. So the second argument with the Hall of Fame is that with – with I guess it has to do with in the voting process itself. Like I see standards dropping uh, and that could be okay, actually. Like standards dropping. I'm wondering if if it it's okay in your eyes because to me, the game is changing. Like, let me give you an example. Next year, CC Sabathia, he's eligible to appear on the Hall of Fame ballot. And I remember less than five years ago when Sabathia retired, the talk was whether or not he was a Hall of Famer. He was being regarded and discussed as a borderline candidate. And over the last week, when people bring up CeCe's name as a first-time uh, player who will appear on next year's ballot, the, the debate is whether or not he's a first-ballot Hall of Famer. Now, full disclosure, I think CeCe Sabathia is a Hall of Famer now. I might have not thought that 10 or 15 years ago, but I think that kind of goes in line with the shift in pitching culture that we kind of currently find ourselves in with the game in its present form. And I think it's forced the criteria for some voters to loosen up as a result. Uh, do you think that's okay? 
Uh, wow, do I think that's okay? I do you think we're so. kind of forced to 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 lower the bar a little bit because of the way the game's played now compared to the past? I don't think they should ever be forced to. I mean, I, I have never, ever, I have my own rule, and other people I think it's probably the same rule that I have. If you have to think about it, then you shouldn't be in. It's supposed to I'm be with you on that, but if you if you start going that uh, on that line, we might be approaching several years where you have no player elected. And and, and because we don't have a, a player that you have to sit there and say, uh, I don't have to think about it, that player is, is not there. So we should say, okay, well, let me see. Now I'm going to change my thought to if I have to think about it more than, than <laughs> half 30 seconds, they should be in. No, you shouldn't. The standard should be the standard. Whatever the standard is, it should be one of pure excellence. Well, you really don't have to think about it. And if you have to think about it, then maybe they go in the foyer of fame. That's the that's the that's the hallway next to the hall of fame. We'll call it the foyer of fame. That's where that's where Don Mattingly is right now, and Keith Hernandez is. And by the way, I think both of them should be, you know, in the hall of fame. I, I do because they're they're gloves. You know, so should matter. Uh, and, and by the way, Andrew Jones. There are people. That, and why isn't it? Why didn't Andrew Jones get in? Oh, he, he didn't. He didn't make. It. Why didn't he make it? Was it good enough? Oh, really? You ever see Andrew Jones play center field? Did you guys? Sure did. Andrew yeah. Andrew Jones is one of the great center fielders of all time. I'm sorry. And you know, it, and if people are not educated enough on him to have seen him or know about him, then, then you know, go call the Braves. You know, go call you know the other teams, some of the other teams he's played for, and tell and ask the people who watched him play on a day in a day out basis how great a player Andrew Jones was uh, as an outfielder. I mean, Paul Blair was the I think was the Paul Blair was one of the greatest center fielders I ever saw, but he couldn't hit enough to you know to justify a Hall of Fame. But he was a tremendous defensive player. And why why are the runs you save less important than the runs you drive in? Someone still needs to explain that to me. And I love baseball. A lot of other people love baseball too. Explain that to me, why those runs are not less important. They're not. They shouldn't be. Defense should matter a great deal. A great deal. And yet it's it gets a short shrift to offense. It does. And I am I'm just saying, I'm just bringing up things that you know that that should be brought up. And if you looked at what Andrew Jones did offensively and what he was did defensively, and I'm I'm telling you, if you ask great players, great players have told me. Great players have told me that Andrew Jones is the best center fielder that they've ever seen, ever, mm-hmm. ever, ever. Now you're talking. What are we talking here? Look at the great center fielders. By by definition, you have to be great to play center field defensively. By definition, but and, and, but because Andrew Jones did not have this, you know, the same sort of exposure to people for whatever reason, didn't see enough of him. You get enough credit for his defense. If you gave him credit for his defense, because he, he he certainly hit pretty well. I mean, numbers offensively are pretty good. But his numbers defensively are ridiculous. You put let me Hall of Famer. Let, let me zero in on on maybe just the pitching side here because I think uh, the the situation with the pitching culture kind of jumps out more than the position player side within this topic. So we're talking about Sabathia being eligible for the first time in 2025. You know, the last time a pitcher was actually voted in to the Hall of Fame, how many years ago that was? Christy Mathis. I didn't say the first, the right. last. Oh, the last. No, I'm sorry. The last the picture got voted in. Starting pitcher got voted in last time. Huh? Yeah. Uh, Burt Blyleb. No, it was, well, it was 2019. It was Roy Halladay and it was Mike Messina. And oh, okay. you also had, you had, you had Mariano Rivera and Lee Smith, two relievers. But 
Yeah, okay. Are we going to go like it, you research we're go six years, you seven years? Said you, said you sandbagged me. You researched that. You had that research. You just asked me a blind question like that. It's like, wow. When's the last time a starting pitcher got it? Like, that's a really good question. That's well, the point good. is, after if, if Sabathia gets in after that, you're looking at players who are still active now. Because I can't think of another player who's already retired between – you know, the Kershaws, the Verlanders, the Scherzers, um, those figure to be shoe-ins here. Uh, but uh, my point is the, the current state of pitching culture where it's five and fly, uh, yeah. It you know, yeah. there's not so much emphasis on the state of the starting pitcher. It's not a marquee position, or at least it was. it's not what it once was. Does that mean you kind of have to lower the bar? Like, is, is Zach Granke a guy, once he hangs it up and becomes eligible for uh, the Hall of Fame, you have to pay closer attention to just because if if you don't, well, we're going to see fewer and fewer starting pitchers get to Cooperstown. So, I mean, you, you, you're changing the state. You guys are changing the standard because you feel like we have to have somebody get in every year or two or three people get in every year. I mean, if you, if somebody, no, but should we go, should we go decades without a starting pitcher elected? Cause that's kind of where we're headed. Would you lose any sleep? Would you lose sleep if we went decades without a starting? First of all, that's never going to happen because it, you, you, the spacing wouldn't allow that. Okay. But I understand your point. You just, you take, sometimes it takes a couple of years between certain positions for people to get in. I, I get it. I understand that. But at the end, of, but at the end of the day, it's sort of like you, you really want players in there who shouldn't be in there. You really want players in there that, that it should be. They're already in there. Can, What's I, the point? I, They're I, already I in there. Want, do you want more than that? You all right? I get it. I mean, I, I, I can make I can say a lot of things here. I can't say okay, but I'm just going to say to you, I, I'm going to say to you, it's because that's it's been like that. You want to continue it like that? You want to continue to do to sort of bastardize the system, if you will. And, and put people in who really shouldn't be in because you really feel like you need to fill out a class. And what about years when you have a, we have seven or eight guys who all are all fame worthy? What then? Then you realize you can't. How are you going to get them all in? I mean, how's that happen? Then you've got people on the ballot who've been left on the ballot for years, and you feel oh, it's ten years. I got to vote for them. No, you don't. If you didn't vote for the other first nine, why do you want to vote for them in year ten? I don't. That I don't get at all. Explain that one to me. That's another part of the criteria that I think needs an overhaul. So limits, years on the ballot, all of that need, needs an overhaul. And who can actually cast a ballot, uh, that needs an, an overhaul as well. Um, now that we've destroyed that, what else we can yeah. destroy? Say it again? Now that we destroyed the whole, what else we want to destroy? I don't know. I was about to say, it's time to <laughs> land the plane. So on our landing, who do you want to eviscerate? No, I'm good. I think we, we did enough <laughs> evisceration here. We did a good. This job. was an aggressive episode. Well, but it's true. I mean, yeah. I, 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 tell anybody, listen to any of your viewers who you want to write us or you know text us or tweet us or whatever people do to get in contact with people these days. You let us know what you think because, uh, you know, I, I I'm sorry, I, I don't. I I think a, I agree with you. The system needs a major older overhaul. It, it just they need to pay attention to it more. I mean, mm -hmm. the problem is going back to like six o'clock at night thing. Okay, it's just been there, and nobody said, "Oh, we should maybe change it because it's archaic now." You know, baseball is slow to come around to changes, whether it's sometimes the game, and and certainly sometimes the institutions around the game were reluctant to change. You know, right. because you know there a lot of people who are in charge of them are old school, older school. I'm not saying that makes them archaic or, or not interesting or wrong. I'm just saying that it, it gives them a viewpoint that sometimes is out of step with out of step with the times that we're in. Every institution needs to update its rules and regulations. Everyone does. We all do. You have to constantly do it. 
And baseball is no different. The Hall of Fame certainly is no different. It's part of that. And you stay vigilant about those things because if not, you get a whole lot of people voting on it that shouldn't vote on it. You get players on ballots who shouldn't be on ballots. They should be a really tougher, more concurrent, more current, uh, more current standard than there is to vote and to get on ballots. And to, to the process needs to be modernized desperately. Fully agree with you on that. I, I do think that the state of the game right now specifically with pitching and the culture within the pitching right now, I think it makes me appreciate careers like CC Sabathia and, you know, like a current player, like a Garrett Cole. I mean, he's on a hall of fame path. Uh, I would say 15, 20 years ago, would he even be considered a borderline hall of fame candidate? I don't think he would. I don't know if CC Sabathia would have the credentials in the eyes of many to be a hall of fame candidate, but I think just where we're at right now, Within pitching culture, it makes me appreciate what CC Sabathia and a pitcher like CC did even more. CC will get in. I mean, yeah. I, uh, because uh, I don't even know if he's so borderline. I mean, you you could look at his numbers and say uh, maybe, but I mean, the, the over three thousand strikeouts, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, postseason success, yes. Right. Championship ring, yes. Two hundred fifty Domin- wins. Two hundred fifty yes. wins, yes. Dominant during his his uh, years as uh, in the, in, the, in his position was he dominant? He was certainly one of the dominant pitchers. Mm-hmm. Would you say most dominant? No, but I would say certainly one of the most more, more certainly a dominant pitcher. So he reach, he checks all the boxes, you know, and and you know, and was friendly with the sports writers. Most of the sports writers liked him. That will help him too. And right so, there lies within another. Uh, there's the other problem, right? Well, that's the human. That's the human element. Yeah. I mean, there were certain players who would get in just because and there were certain players who you know, the the you know have been held back because they're just not liked by the media, and the people who vote just don't like them. Just that's it. But but it's their vote, and if you insult them enough or ignore them enough or don't work with them enough, this is the payback on some of these guys. You know, that's what totally natural and totally. Uh... Totally decent within uh, yeah. human decency, right? Yeah. Exactly. All right, that's a I, that, that's probably a good place to to cap it here. Uh, you go get ready for the Super Bowl and your trip to Vegas. I Have a great I time. They get dressed now. Oh, this is a uh, this is <laughs> this is not a visual podcast. Well, thankfully, I'm, I'm saying should I get dressed for the Super Bowl now? You say like go now. I mean, should I get dressed now to leave now? <laughs> it's February 11th. I mean, I got a little time. Yeah, but we're probably not going to record another one before then, unless something big happens with the Yankees. Oh, something something's going to happen before February. The spring training starts the what the fourteenth or fifteenth. So starts yeah, it starts a few days after. Yeah, so I tend to think the Yankees will be there'll be some story to report between it's the Yankees. I mean, something will happen between that one. Then usually, all right. So maybe well, maybe we'll talk before you uh, hit the streets of Vegas. And are you gonna are you gonna gamble a little bit while you're out there? No, I don't gamble. Okay, I try not to gamble. It's like it's just not. I don't, I'm not putting people down to do. I just try not to do that. Fair um, enough. It's kind of where my, my rules of life are. But um, but the, no, so I'm going to take my kids and go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to leave tomorrow, get a head start. Was that to your point, Justin? Should I leave now? No, I just thought that we probably weren't going to record another, you know, figure every two weeks. And uh, that, that lines up with the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. If the story breaks, we should do another one of these. For sure. If okay. a story breaks, we'll be on before the Super Bowl. And if not, until then, say hi to Taylor Swift. All right. So, who do you like in the Super Bowl? By the way, who do you like in the Super Bowl? I really don't care. I want I want the game to end so we can focus on baseball. <laughs> <laughs> That's my blunt, honest question. Uh, answer right there. Person, and I'm a baseball person too. But yeah. 
there's no second. There's always baseball to me. Although yeah. I love, I love the NFL and I love football. But I must tell you, I do. I obviously love baseball. First and foremost. Having said that, having given that little prerequisite speech, <clears throat> I will tell you, it's a very interesting game. And what the 49ers did yesterday told me how great a football team they really are because they were so dominated in the first half by uh, Detroit. So dominated. And in the second half, they totally flipped the script. Totally did it. Totally. And that's that's some great coaching to be able to do that. And uh, to, to, to realize that you just got taken to the dry cleaners and the only way you're going to come back and you make certain adjustments and, you come, and those adjustments all work. Not only they work, but they work to a T. Where you take away 17 points lead 17 points 17 points 17 points and i would take it away like that wow that is some job of execution but it's even a greater job of coaching so my hat tip to harbaugh on those guys that's amazing what happened and the other game he's like you know i went into people tell me about the ravens and i said i know they had a really good team but i'll tell you what i would never and i don't bet but if i did bet i would never bet against Mahomes. <laughs> it's they doing it man Mahomes, whatever it takes to win, he's got it. Knows how to do it. So I'm calling with him. And, and of course, I want to see Taylor Swift. So <laughs> when we started, let's go, you know, go go Swifties. Let's go. Yeah, go. I was going to say the 49ers, through no fault of their own, they're they're essentially public enemy number one in the eyes of most Amer uh, American sports fans because they think crazy slick for the Jefferson airplane. Yeah. They show up and be like, <laughs> go out with other players. Yeah, because they're, you know, most of America is now enamored with Taylor Swift. That's who they uh, want to see uh, on the Super Bowl and obviously cheer for Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs. So uh, should be a good game for sure. I hope to talk to you before then. If not, like I said, enjoy the Super Bowl. Say hi to Taylor for me. Uh, quick <laughs> call to action for all our listeners out there. Newest version of Yankees Hot Stove coming up. Tomorrow night on Tuesday, what is that? January 31st? No, January 30th, 6.30, only on Yes and the Yes app. So tune in there, and we'll be back with another episode of Curtain Call when uh, either the Yankees make some noise or just after the Super Bowl so we can recap John's Las Vegas experience. John, always a pleasure, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Uh, Danny Bassone, thank you very much for your efforts, too. Thank you yes. all. And Our great producer doing all the hard stuff as well. So uh, that'll do it for John and I. We appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Curtain Call podcast, a production of the Yes Network. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, folks.